You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. We are live. It is a Monday morning. We're back on the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, back and healthy here uh, with my co-host today, Mr. Scott Martin, on his birthday weekend. Happy birthday. How are we doing, bud? Thanks, Kevin. We're back. I mean, what could you ask for other than Big Ten football coming back on the table for birthday? So I'm in a good mood and I'm excited. It's Man, that's about the best present you could ask for, right? Yeah. So obviously the Big Ten schedule got released on yesterday morning. We're recording this on Sunday morning. So we've had some time to watch some college football to kind of sleep on it. And I want to start there because, man, it's I, I think we got a break, really. I mean, there's there's a lot to like about the schedule. The way that they unveiled it was kind of annoying, but it. <laughs> I don't know. It, it it made the pre-game waiting time a little easier, like just kind of rolling through an hour of waiting for the schedule. So that was nice. Um, but we get Rutgers week one, Michigan at home uh, or Michigan on the road, excuse me, week two on Halloween, uh, followed by Iowa on the road, Indiana at home, Maryland on the road, Northwestern at home, Ohio State at home, Penn State on the road to finish it off. Um, I have some thoughts. I was, you know, kind of going through on Twitter quite a bit, but um, Scott, I actually haven't really gotten your thoughts. I kind of intentionally didn't really ask you about this before we recorded. Cause I'm curious what your take is. What are your kind of initial thoughts about the way the, the schedule plays out for us? I mean, I agree. It's all things considered. It's a gift. You look at our crossover games, Iowa at Iowa is not great, but you know, we get Northwestern, which is a good, you know, winnable game. I mean, it, it comes down to the first six weeks, right? Those last two weeks, unless something drastically changes with how we think the season will go, you can probably just, you know, set December aside and, and make some plans for those weekends with Ohio State and Penn State in there. But when you look at October, November, I mean, you've got six games, four of which will be right in it. You know, Rutgers, Indiana, Maryland, and Northwestern are all winnable games. And if the program can continue to hold on to the position that it's had in years past, then we should be winning those games. And then you've got Michigan and Iowa both on the road. I mean, we're going to see what, you know, a Mel Tucker team looks like with a good road opponent right off the bat in Ann Arbor and then back at it at Iowa the next week. So, I mean, they're both winnable. I mean, it depends, obviously, on what kind of product we're putting out there. There's so many unknowns of this season. There'll be tough games for sure. But, I mean, if you told me two weeks ago that, you know, we could 
look at a 500 season and, and whatever bowl eligibility means, I'm assuming that's a 500 record. You know, I think most MSU fans would probably take that. So, I mean, all in all, I'm psyched. I think Rutgers off the bat, it's going to be fascinating. It may not be a huge national game, but you've got, you know, two new Big Ten coaches, two fan bases really interested in, you know, what they're going to get. And actually two fan bases that have been going up against each other and recruiting quite a bit lately too. So that might add a little fire to that week one matchup. And I mean, honestly, like I said, I'm just psyched to have it back. And I think the schedule, all things considered, playing in the Big Ten is about as good as you could could expect, especially in the Big Ten East. Yeah, but like the it's it's really, I mean, you go on Twitter and everybody wants to know your prediction, you know, okay, are we winning four games? Are we winning two games? What, what's your prediction for the record? And we'll get into that as, you know, we got plenty of time here. Uh, the countdown is back on Twitter. We're 34 days away. So we got plenty of time to get into like real predictions and stuff like that. But I really think it sets up beautifully. You get Rutgers week one, that can really build the confidence of the team. You, you get, even if it's an ugly, like 19 to 12 win, it's a win to start off the season. And the previous COVID schedule had us playing Minnesota week one. So that's a big difference going from Minnesota to Rutgers U of M week two is really interesting. I, I mean, realistically on paper, there's no reason we should win that game, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, week two early in the season, anything can happen, especially this season. You know, we've seen quite a bit. I was watching yesterday, Oklahoma state damn near lose to Tulsa. So Ooh, bad. Anything can happen there. Iowa on the road being one of the crossover games, I think it's a winnable game. It's one of those like puncher's chance. It's going to be a low scoring game. One big play can flip that thing. So other than that, I mean, the way that I'm kind of phrasing it right now, and again, we'll get into like real predictions, but I think as a fan base, we can expect three wins, not, not hope for three wins, not say like, Hey man, we, we go out there and win three games. Then then I'm a happy camper that good job, Mel move on to the next season. I think anything less than three wins would be a little bit disappointing. And, and people say like, you know, Oh, the, the new head coach, he's late in the late in the hiring process, doesn't have spring practice and all that stuff. And I get it. And, and it's certainly, you know, I'm not going to say he should be on the hot seat if he wins two games, but Rutgers and Maryland are just the state of their program. We should win those games. I mean, Maryland got blown out by damn near every big 10 team last year. And of course we played them pretty tight, but I mean, they, they lost by like 50 points to damn near everybody in the conference Rutgers. We know what they are. And between Northwestern, Indiana, maybe throw one out there against Iowa. I, I think there's no reason we shouldn't win one of those games. So I don't know, like, I I was kind of half being sarcastic on Twitter where I said, like, hey, five and three, it's it's not out of the question. But, I mean, is it out of the question? Like, what's the, what's the ceiling here? Uh, just kind of off the cut. Yeah, I think, uh, like you said, as from an expectation standpoint, from the floor, you know, three wins should be the expectation. Maryland records, and then you split Indiana and Northwestern. So Indiana and Northwestern are both at home. Uh, so realistically, we should be putting up a fight. If if our program is where we want it to be, we should be winning those games as well. And that's four wins. And then, you know, 
you look at the other four at Michigan, at Iowa, home against Ohio State, and at Penn State. Those are all tough matchups. Obviously, three on the road, and then the one at home is Ohio State. So, I mean, I don't necessarily see us winning more than one of those. So, I think ceiling's probably five if we really exceed expectations and manage right. to get, you know, two of those games, Iowa, Michigan, or, or if Penn State has a bad year or something. Um, I think, but that would be. I just don't see that happening. I think we're looking at realistically three to five wins. Uh, if you want to be totally green glasses, you could say six is the ceiling. And if you want to be super pessimistic, you could say, you know, two is the floor. But I think that three to five range is, is kind of where we'll settle. And, you know, I think getting to bowl, if bowl eligibility is four wins, you know, getting there is, is a great kind of year one uh, target for you know Mel's Mel's team and then we got this cool little championship week at the end so I love we're gonna it. get a ninth game you know slot in against like a you know number three in the west and maybe steal a fifth win in the conference and and have a winning season year one but we'll see I I love that championship week I, I'm glad you brought that up because that that gives just an extra fun game I don't know we, we might be playing Nebraska or someone like that, that can kind of give you another test to end the season, right? I don't know what the hell's going on with bowl games this year, what they're doing, what the plan is, but to be guaranteed another, another game, I, I, it, I shouldn't say guarantee with <laughs> COVID, everything's going on. 5% is not a lot, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But I don't know, like it's, it's a mixed bag on Twitter and it's really fun because you have the group of fans who are all in who, you know, Hey, five wins, let's go. You have the group of fans that are just like, Hey, give me one win and I'm happy. And then you have, of course, the majority of people in the middle, but it it's really is shocking for me. How many people I see that say, you know, I don't know, like that Maryland game, like we could Maryland last year lost 59, nothing to Penn state 40 to 14 to Purdue 52 to 10 to Minnesota, 38, seven to Michigan, 73 to 14 to Ohio state, 54 to seven to Nebraska. Like there, there's no Michigan state, even with all the stuff that we're going through as a program right now, we got no business losing that game. So I, I think Rutgers and Maryland, you have to win. Those are must win games and everything else, you know, we'll see what happens. But again, I, I think we should expect to find one more on the schedule somewhere in there. So um, but yeah, the, the championship week, who knows what's going on with bowl games. It should be a fun year. It should be exciting. And, and I'm just ultimately glad that, that we're back, that we have something to talk about. That's not just theoretical and recruiting. I, I like recruiting, but I don't love recruiting. I love football. So, uh, this, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm psyched. I, I hope we have bowl games, you know, I don't think necessarily the big 10 championship and uh obviously the playoff are in our cards this year if they're <laughs> if they are great but you know not get, not gonna get too excited about that idea but i think the schedule sets up nicely um the the no bye weeks is certainly going to be a sprint we'll see oh, how boy. that affects morale injuries you know just general uh conditioning and everything but from a fan standpoint i think being able to watch your team eight straight nine straight weeks assuming we actually get on the field is a, a very exciting prospect. So, yeah. And I, I forget who it was that brought this up. I want to give him credit, but um, I, somebody mentioned that the last few years we've had a pretty early bye week 
week four, week five bye week. Yep. So usually we nestled played... into the like week three nestled into the non-conference a lot of times. Yeah, and so we've played nine games in a row before, I feel like. So it's I don't know that I don't think as far as like the conditioning, the the morale part is is gonna be a huge factor as much as as much as people like to talk about it. I mean, the, obviously the worry is, is COVID related with no bye weeks. I, I think we've already seen a handful of games. Like we, we do the picks every week on uh, standingroomspartans.com. And we had uh, North Carolina and Charlotte picked early in the week. Boom, canceled by like Thursday. And then I was like, okay, we'll replace that one. And all of a sudden the day before on Friday, Houston Baylor canceled. I mean, so that's the worry. I, I don't know. I obviously they put in some pretty strict uh, policies as far as how many people are allowed to be, how, how many people are allowed to test positive. Um, I'm still not a hundred percent clear on is that number the players? Is that number the entire quote unquote population of the team with trainers, coaches, yeah. everything, grad assistants? Like, how many people need to test positive technically in order for a game to get canceled, a week to get put on hold? But um, yeah, it's going to be tough to, to really envision watching eight games, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another thing with that, I mean, I know the 11% number circulated on Twitter this weekend, you know, 11% of MSU players or, or some portion of the program tested positive. Now, I, I don't know if that's active cases or if that's just the total percentage of people in the program who have had it since right. March. Um, you know, if it's, if it's the total number of players since March, that's not, you know, I know we had a big wave in like, when they came back to campus, you know, we had like a couple dozen or something. So I don't know, are we at 11% actively right now? Obviously that'd be extremely concerning or is that 11% since March? I mean, we'll see how this plays out. Obviously we have uh, over a month before the season starts. So even if, you know, 50% of our team was positive right now, obviously that would be from a personal perspective, very scary, but from a football perspective, that's, you know, not necessarily, the end of the world because we've got four weeks, you know, a couple COVID cycles, quarantine cycles worth of, uh, of time here to play with. So we'll see um, how that plays out. Obviously I think everybody's pretty uh, adept and used to uh, adjusting their expectations with, with news, you know, over the last six months. So hopefully it'll be good news, you know, for the next month and leading into the season and hopefully we'll get a handful of games, you know, when the schedule was released, I kind of said, just get me, give me one, you know, give me that first October 24th game. Obviously it came out that it's Rutgers. You know, if we play one game this year, one know, baby. One know. I mean, undefeated claim a national championship. Move I'm on to next year. If, so. if that, if that happened, of course, like I want to see us play a full season. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a college football fan of Michigan. I, I want to see us play, but if we go one and oh, we beat Rutgers 19 to 16 in a just, brutal 17 turnover bloodbath and somehow the season gets canceled the next day i'm claiming that national title you best believe it i mean hey undefeated if ucf can do it i can do it too so from a real from a more uh, realistic perspective on that game if we let's say we did only play the rutgers game this year if you could see one 
um, aspect of our game, offensive, defensive, run game, um, you know, whatever it is, secondary, what one kind of facet would you want us want to see us excel in in that one game? Man, that's a good question. I mean, the the obvious point would be the passing game because that would, in theory, mean that we found a quarterback that can play. Um, but I don't know. Like, I I really think the identity of Mel Tucker and the identity of Michigan State the last few years has been the run game. And yeah. our offensive line has not been great. So if we came out that week when week one ran for like seven yards a carry, just, just really controlled the line of scrimmage on offense. I think that would be almost as exciting as, as finding a quarterback and, and throwing the ball around the yard a little bit. So I don't know. It's definitely on the offensive side of the ball. Right. But um, yeah. whether that's the running game or the passing game, I, I think it's, it's a tough decision. I don't know. Are you leaning one way or the other? I mean, I was in a similar bucket with the quarterback. Obviously, that's what, you know, any any uh, program that's in the QB battle, that's always top of the list in every podcast, every press conference, everything. You know, who's the quarterback? How's it looking? Um, but in all reality, if we have one game and it's against Rutgers, I'm not sure it's the healthiest thing for the program to find a quarterback. You know, we look at like the Rocky yeah. game against Purdue two years ago or last year, whenever that was. I think it was two years ago, you know, he had one great game and everybody sold on him the next year he comes in and, you know, couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. So do you really want to get all excited over one performance against arguably the worst team in the conference and then sit on that for an entire off season? You're going to have a faction of let's say Rocky starts. Cause at this point, I think it's likely that he will start the season week one. Um, but let's say Rocky starts, you know, goes for, three touchdowns, 300 yards and a pick or something. Right. I mean, reasonable line for that game. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got a whole off season of Rocky fans saying, look what he did. He's perfect. <laughs> and then you've got everybody else saying it's one game against Rutgers. And I just don't want to have that conversation for, you know, 365 days or however long it would be. So I think That's personally, point. Yeah. I would, I would pick the running game. I think it's important to find our foundation, like you said. And I think when you look at the strengths of this coaching staff, at least early on, that's going to be in the run game. Um, so we'll see uh, how Rutgers goes, but it's like to have them week one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a dream schedule, honestly. The the way it lays out is is pretty much – you get an early confidence builder and win in theory. You get um, a, a rivalry week two, which is weird for sure. But, um, I mean, I guess I'd rather play Michigan early than late. And then you get a middle pack of that schedule with four winnable games in a row. Um, and then, like you mentioned, once December hits and we're playing Ohio State and Penn State, I, I don't know, like, would you rather have momentum going into the offseason? I don't know. But, like, by that point, we kind of know who we are and the identity has been built. And you don't have – like, if Ohio State was week one, and you go out there and get beat 49 to, to 10, that's, that's rough. You, you, the fan base, as much yeah. as people say like, hey, man, I'm, I'm going into this year with no expectations. Two wins is fine. 
it's easy to say that until you're sitting down on your couch watching your team get blown out in week one. And so that would, that would be rough. Um, so getting them late by the time where we, we've already kind of seen, okay, this is what Mel's about. This is what our offense is going to look like. This is what our defensive identity is. And then if we go out and get beat by 40 points in December, who cares, right? Like we, we already know who we are and we've established that. So, and then like we mentioned with the conference championship week, whatever that is, like that kind of gives you one more shot at a win to finish off the year, whatever happens with both. So I, I think the way it lines up where you can get an early win and then you got a middle part of that schedule to, to really build your base and build your identity uh, before a couple tough games at the end of the season. And, hey, who knows? Maybe we get a blizzard in East Lansing. Uh, Ohio State's top three quarterbacks all have COVID. I'm not saying I'm rooting for that, of course. Uh, but, hey, who, who knows what can happen by December? Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, moving on from Rutgers, you, you brought up Michigan a little bit at Michigan. I mean, I I love this time slot. I mean, we're in – that Halloween weekend, which I know when you and I were in school felt like a tradition. I know, yeah, was it last year they moved it around a little bit? Um, but that's the perfect time to play Michigan. You don't have the worst weather where it's like cold rain or snow every day in late November. And um, you usually get sometimes sloppy, but at least good enough weather to play, you know, a good game of football. Um, it's their second game. It's their first game at home. So they're going to have a whole new routine to build for home games with no fans and no tailgating and everything. It's going to be weird. And, you know, I, I mean, one of my favorite sayings is just chaos favors the underdog And this season. I think chaos is the best, the best word to describe the entire season from a national perspective. So, I mean, do I expect to win that game? You know, would I put my house on it? No, but I think all things considered as Mel Tucker's first year with it, where these programs are get a nice, you know, matchup. I'm not, I'm not going to call it a nice win against Rutgers, but a great matchup to try to set a foundation, build a little bit of confidence, take a one and zero record into Ann Arbor, you know, have the gods throw some, you know, throw some dice and see where they fall. It's a full moon on Halloween this year. Oh man. So, Hey, <laughs> anything can happen. You never know. Mel Tucker coming. And uh, like, this is a quick side note, but Michigan did not, get a really friendly bounce on this schedule man like they go at minnesota week one rivalry game hyped up program in the oh my god right now pj flex gonna have them ready you can yeah. say what you want about if you like him or not but he's gonna have those boys ready they'll be rolling you get a rivalry game week two and then you go at indiana versus wisconsin the the first four weeks of the season are are pretty tough for michigan man you compare yeah. that to Ohio State, it's uh, – I, I could see why some Michigan fans might be upset about that, but I don't well, know. Well, nobody I, can complain as much as Nebraska. Another quick <laughs> side note. If they truly <laughs> fighted Nebraska intentionally with this schedule, then I'm here for it. I, I want, like, a Big Ten commissioner uh, keeping up with the Kardashians this season because he has had a hell of a fall already, and it's only mid-September. Um, but well, Nebraska, it, it came man, out – Dan Patrick reported that he heard from a source, whoever the source is, that the Big Ten intentionally gave Nebraska, Ohio State, and Penn State as basically a spite play of like, hey, you want to come after us? 
you get your football. Here you go. Enjoy. Yep. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I don't know if I owe a debt of gratitude to Nebraska for keeping the, the pressure on, you know, to get a football season. But as the ugly stepchild of the Big Ten that's been causing problems since they arrived, I'm excited to watch that nice 0-2 start and watch everybody melt down in Lincoln for another year, which I probably <laughs> shouldn't say because according to all accounts, Nebraska fans are just about the nicest people in the world, but the ones on Twitter. They probably are. I mean, yeah. (laughs) I I remember the Boise fans being like awesome. I, I, I was usually a great fan base. Yeah. Like who was Sean was complaining about Iowa fans. I think he just, he knows one Iowa fan who's a pain in the ass. And he's like, Oh dude, these Iowa fans are horrible. I'm like, I don't know. I've been to like three games against Iowa and tailgated and everything. I've never had a single issue with Iowa fans. So I don't know. I no, think I the think... Plains folks are, are just good yeah. old people and they kind of got boned in this one, but <laughs> big 10 East has the best football. The big 10 West has the nicest fans. Right. I don't think that's arguable. Yeah. So I got Ohio state, Michigan and Penn state sitting in your division. Oh that's God. a pretty low bar to exceed <laughs> as far as fan bases. Go. And Rutgers fans, man, they've been coming out of the woodwork, like Dude. coming after us with this recruiting stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, they feel like that guy that's been to the gym twice. And now he's acting like some kind of meathead, like calm down, win a couple games. I know you like, got Greg Shiano back, spent but like, like 450 bucks did. at the Nike store. Like, <laughs> Yeah, they got their coach back who happened to get them into the top 25 like seven years ago. So, you know, the hype is high in uh, Piscataway. Yeah, when, when we flipped those recruits and, and uh, Gino Vandemark and Audric Estime and, and you see like yeah. Rutgers fans on Twitter being like, oh, enjoy your winless season at MSU. Or like, have you been paying attention to what's been going on yeah. in your program or, or what? Cause that's somebody needs to tell them that they don't get to play any non-conference games this year. So that <laughs> win column is going to be at the top of a mountain for them. That's going to be um, right. I do. This is my big 10 hot take. We'll, we'll get into it, but I think Rutgers beats Maryland this year. That that's my whole big 10 schedule hot take. And they give it on the last week of the season, which I love. It's going to be two winless teams going for win number one. I, I love that. Beautiful. Beautiful. So we got some fan questions. I uh, want to make sure that we get to here. Uh, we got a couple that I think are really interesting here. So we put out on Twitter uh, earlier this week um, that we're going to be recording here after a little hiatus. And I got some interesting questions. And the first one is something we talked about a little bit. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on here, but Kevin, not myself, Kevin, but uh, at, I don't even know, Tremi13, T-R-I-R-E-M-E-X-I-I-I, which I'm assuming is 13. Um, Yeah, Kevin says, is Rocky going to be the starting quarterback for the full season? And if you've been listening to this podcast, you know my opinion of Rocky Lombardi. You probably know Scott's opinion of Rocky Lombardi as well. Um, but as far as a prediction goes, like you're not saying who do you want to start, not saying you know who's going to be the best for this team, but if you had to put $100 on it, who is starting, yes, like that becomes a little bit more interesting. And I've been kind of thinking about this because you start reading the tea leaves 
Michigan State put out the schedule on Twitter uh, after the Big Ten Network, you know, did their whole – or Big Ten did their whole thing on Fox. And who's the player that's front and center on, on the schedule picture? It's Rocky Lombardi. Uh, and, and earlier this office is maybe a couple weeks back. They did a, they were trying to have some fun on social media and they were playing the, the season out on NCAA 14. I don't think they're going to be continuing that now that we're actually have football to play, but who's the person that they choose to be playing the game and, and in the front and center of that social media, uh, marketing stunt, uh, whatever you want to call that it's Rocky Lombardi. And so I don't know, like, obviously my take is that I would love for him not to be the starter, but all signs are pointing towards he's kind of the face of the program. As far as players go, obviously Mel Tucker is the face of the program right now, but I don't know, like that, that's kind of what I've been starting to feel is They've been putting out a lot of social media stuff and Rocky Lombardi has been at the center of most of it. So at this point, it would kind of surprise me to see anybody but him starting week one. Um, And then obviously it's just a matter of how long can he hang on to the job? I think that's where it gets interesting. But like you said, he goes out week one against Rutgers and throws for 300 yards and two touchdowns. Like, what's the conversation in that coaching staff? And I don't know, man, I I hope the answer is no, he's not starting the whole season, but I think I've gotten to a point where I kind of understand that he probably will be the starter week one. Yeah. I mean, week one. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to take that first snap under center. I mean, I I would bet I would put that hundred dollars on that. Uh, But that's not the question. I think the question is who's going to be starting week eight, you know, December 12th, who's under center. Um, I think there's like, there's three scenarios here. You know, you've got the first scenario, Rocky starts, exceeds expectations, plays the whole year. You know, the second scenario is somebody else starts. And then the third one is Rocky starts and doesn't do well enough to solidify the job. And I think the most dangerous position in that realm is he does just enough to keep the starting job, but keeps his seat warm. And, you know, that's kind of that worst case um, 2016 year where you've got like one guy who's a little better than the rest, but he's kind of showing his ceiling um, and where, you know, maybe like day or thorn aren't as game ready, but they, you know, they have a lot more potential to fulfill. So, I mean, in all reality, we don't have a lot of tape for Rocky. He, he has never taken QB1 reps until this year, you know, for an extended period of time. Obviously, for injuries and stuff, he's started games, but he's never really been the guy. He's never had the keys at his disposal. So it's hard to say um, what will happen throughout the season, obviously. If he exceeds expectations and he's winning games that, you know, he's winning these 50-50 games, stealing a game at Iowa on the road or something, and playing well enough to do that, then – you know, I'm not going to be throwing fits saying some, we need somebody else under there, obviously. I just don't see that as a particularly likely scenario. Um, 
I think, again, this Rutgers game plays into our hands very nicely. You know, maybe if, if the game goes according to how we may expect it to go, you give Rocky the first half, let him build a couple possession lead, hopefully, um, and then maybe you start to flirt with the idea of bringing some, you know, the other guys in for a couple series in the second half if we have that luxury. Um, but we'll see. I mean, again, it all comes down to what kind of coach Mel Tucker is. You know, how does he like to run his program? How does he like to run his packages, his subs? Maybe they have, you know, a, a package or two for each backup quarterback, you know, to play to his strengths, see what he's got and, and build a little bit of confidence, you know, similar to what, you know, um, Damian Terry had a few years ago when they were kind of flirting. I think it was like 2012 or 2013 when we had him. He was still younger. You know, there was still excitement that he may be like a dual threat guy that could really show some flashes. Obviously that didn't pan out, but I, you know, I think that's probably more than likely what we'll see, you know, we'll have a couple packages play into their strengths. They'll throw them in for a series or, you know, a set of downs or something just to see how they look, how their confidence looks, how they're reading the defenses. Um, but it is Rocky's job to lose at this point. I think, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head, all of their literature, all their graphics and everything is showing Rocky as the guy. They're kind of putting him as the image of the team. Um, is Mel talking to the marketing folks or the graphics right. folks to help do that or not? I, I guess it's hard to say, but you know, there's just so many unknowns, but yeah, I think week one, you've got Rocky week eight for all I know, you could have Noah Kim out there. I don't know. <laughs> Give him a shot. No, it's, it's, um, I don't know, like this, this goes back to playing Rutgers week one and that's awesome for a lot of reasons, but one is, you know, we didn't have spring practice. We didn't have a spring game and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, is this on paper an opportunity to kind of play it like a spring game where, you know, hey, let's say we go up 21 nothing at halftime. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but let's say we go up 21 nothing at halftime. Now the second half, you can throw in a different quarterback and see how he does. You can kind of start playing some of these young guys. You don't have to worry about eligibility this year, which is awesome. Um, you, you can kind of start experimenting a little. So I, like, I, I do think Rocky's going to be the week one starter. It's just a matter of can he hang on to that job or not. I think realistically the answer is hopefully not or probably not. But like you said, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to accept that I'm wrong. If, if we're two and one the first three games of the season, whichever wins – that turns into like I don't care how we want them stick with them I like whatever the case may be but I I don't know like it's we'll continue to talk about that topic as as we kind of gear up for the season here but I thought it was an interesting point especially given the context of you know this this new eight game season um, we have pregame empire at pregame empire on Twitter said, how many times do you expect Rutgers to appear on Ohio State's schedule three or four? Um, obviously kind of poking fun. I, I know he's not a big 10 guy, um, but kind of poking fun at Ohio State always seeming to get the easy schedules. Um, and it seems like the big 10 kind of did them a little favor trying to get Ohio State into the playoff there. They gave them Nebraska and Illinois as their crossover games. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it was pretty clear given the, the day that we're starting that we're not doing any bye weeks. It's pretty clear that they're trying to get somebody into the playoff. Um, that's 
kind of half the point of them putting together this schedule. So they're going to do whatever they can to give Ohio State a shot at that. And uh, they did. Um, not much to talk about there, though. We have, oops, let's see here. I accidentally just scrolled way past all these questions. There we go. Uh, Mason, our, our guy at Mason's BV, Mason SBV, however you want to take those letters. Uh, all caps, black helmets. So, Scott, I ask you, black helmets? Yes. Absolutely. I've been hoping for this for ever, I will say. And I think, I don't know if they'll happen. I mean, obviously they tease them with the schedule release, but we're going to have an alternate this year. Um, we don't know what that's going to be. I think coming out with something sharp, like an all black, you know, with a white trim. I mean, that's, well, I'll just say if it's real, it beats the hell out of the neons. <laughs> I love it. No, I, I think, um, We've done a pretty good job in general with our alternate jerseys until last year. Um, so I expect them to experiment and throw something out there. And like you said, they teased the black helmet on social media. So I really hope that that's a real thing. We have uh, Jay Port. That's at Sparta12MSU on Twitter said, do you expect Julian Barnett to be a stud on defense right away or will it take time um, I feel pretty confidently that he's going to step in and, and be a really good player right away. I'm not going to say he's going to be like first team, all big 10 this year, but it look he, like he's a corner. I, I mean, last year we, we put him at wide receiver by necessity, but dudes played corner his whole life. I, I can't imagine that he wasn't practicing on defense for most of last year. You get Harlem Barnett back to coach him up, a, a coach who's taken Johnny Adams, who's taken Darquez Denard and Trey Waynes, and, and all of these corners that we've had to that next level. Um, he was still here when uh, in 2017, and Josiah Scott was was playing at that time as a freshman. I think that was his freshman year. Um, so I don't know. Like I, I don't see any reason that he doesn't step onto the field right away and make an impact. Yeah, I mean, you got a new scheme, so you never really know how the athletes are going to fit into a new scheme until you see them on the field. But, you know, if you look at what he was coming out of high school, I mean, he was a top 100 guy, top 10, quote unquote, athlete in the country, number one corner in the state, top 10 corner in the country. I mean, his, his ratings are high. He had a phenomenal, obviously, high school um, career at Belleville. Um, and then last year, like you said, we put him on wide receiver as a necessity, but he essentially got a redshirt year as a cornerback you know, taking reps in practice, getting used to it. He's an extremely good athlete. We've seen that in the, on the offensive side of the ball. He's got the height and the length. And like you said, he's got the coaches with the pedigree. So, I mean, will there be an adjustment? I'm sure, like I said, there's a, there's a new scheme and that'll take anybody, you know, some time to adjust to on the field. But all in all, the corners are not going to be playing a particularly different style of ball. They're still going to be on islands out on the edges. They're going to be playing the same techniques, uh, maybe playing a little bit further off the ball than they're used to. But Nonetheless, I mean, like I said, I think last year is a red shirt year for him as a defensive player. This year, we don't blow any eligibility for whatever that's worth. But yeah, I think in relation to a lot of the other guys that are going to be seeing reps at new positions or just are new to the team, um, I think he will be ahead of that learning curve and he'll be one of the more reliable defenders we have um, as far as the guys we haven't seen. 
Yeah, the I, I like the angle there of, of basically red shirting on defense, but I, I, I really think I mean he's been practicing on defense. Let's not kid ourselves. It's not like they, they took him last year and said, Okay, you're a wide receiver now. You're doing film with the wide receivers, you're practicing with the wide receivers. I, I think the plan all along with Julian Barnett was to be a defensive player. So uh last yep. thing we'll get to here, Luke Baker on Twitter at LWBaker thirty three asked how good of an OC do you think Jay Johnson will be? I know allocations have changed a lot since Tucker was hired, but he is making a decent amount more than Narduzzi was when he was here. Is he a million dollar worthy coordinator, basically a million dollar coordinator? Um, And this is really interesting question though. And we've talked about Jay Johnson a bit here, but putting it in the context of, Look, you're paying this guy more than you paid Pat Narduzzi, who was the best coordinator that I've seen at Michigan State going back, you know, since I can remember. So I know you got some numbers on how much we're paying him relative to the the country and stuff, but um, I I think that the early answer is it's impossible to say right now. So I I know you got some numbers. uh, I'm curious to hear, like, how he stacks up compared to the big 10 compared to the country and that 900,000 or whatever we're paying him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there's a, before I get to the numbers, obviously there's a couple things to consider here. Um, First and foremost being that we were hiring a full coaching staff in February. Obviously we know the challenges that put us in with the head coach with Mel Tucker, but you know, that trickles down to the assistants and no matter who it is in February, if you're hiring a guy who already has a job, you're going to have to overpay him to, to move that late in the season. And so is he worth a million bucks on paper? Is his resume worth that much? I mean, from what we've already seen in his career, probably not, but I think that, you know, he's probably worth like the seven to $800,000 range. Um, But like I said, you got to pay a little bit to get people to move in February. So Obviously, you know, he may not have had a job considering he's coming from Colorado as well. But, you know, Mel Tucker got a bag. His guys have to get a bag, too. Now, in the context of Narduzzi, obviously times have changed. And I think in all salaries around pro sports or, I mean, these are this college sports, but the, the coaches are professionals. Everything's been rapidly accelerating as far as the pay. I think the overall dollars within the industry are going up. So that's just obviously pushing salaries up. And when we, when we hired Narduzzi, we hired him for slightly less than what Jay Johnson will be making. It was at like the low 900,000s, Jay Johnson's and the high 900,000s. So all in all, a pretty similar contract. But Narduzzi was the highest paid assistant coach in the Big Ten when he was signed to that contract. Now you look at where the Big Ten is now, Jay Johnson would slot in right around Jim Leonard at mid 900,000s, putting him at fourth or fifth as far as assistants go in the Big Ten. Ahead of him, he's got Madison at Ohio State. coordinator at Wisconsin. At Wisconsin, yep. Uh, Ahead of him, you've got Madison and Gaddis at Ohio State and Michigan, respectively, both at 1.1 million. You've got Don Brown as the highest paid coordinator in the Big Ten, uh, 10th in the country at 1.5 million. So in that context, I think it's reasonable to put that much money towards the coaching position. Um, Is Jay Johnson – is his resume worth his salary on paper right now? Probably not, but I don't think we really would have gotten anything better for that amount of money in the situation that we're in. And I said it a little bit before we started recording that, you know, in this context, it's going to be important for Mel Tucker 
to have less loyalty than D'Antonio. I mean, the, the coaches that D'Antonio actually paid, well, the coach, and Arduzzi's really the only coach under D'Antonio that ever really got paid uh, a real Big Ten assistant salary. And, and we got our money's worth with him, but he didn't get signed to that when he started at MSU. That was his, you know, his final contract at Michigan State. So um, he, he built up to that. Jay Johnson hasn't. So he's going to have to prove himself in the first year or two. And if it's just not working and we've got a good crop of coordinators, offensive coordinators becoming available in the next couple off seasons, I think it's important that we have a, you know, limited loyalty. Um, and, and if it's not working out then we need to move on quickly, or we, you know, last thing we want to do is stake our program to a guy that doesn't work out at this point in time and, and have it really start to eat away at, at our overall brand if you want to use that word or program or prestige so that's my take on it I don't think he's necessarily worth the money on paper but I think given the situation it's just about the best we were going to do yeah I mean that's a good point where if it doesn't work out we have to have the balls basically to cut ties I mean you can't hang on to these guys for too long and and we've seen how that works but one thing that's interesting here, because I, I didn't love the Jay Johnson hire. I still don't necessarily love it. But one thing that, that kind of stands out here is a while back, this is like early August, late July, uh, the Cover 3 podcast, it's like a national college football podcast. They did a coordinator draft um, where they basically drafted the best coordinators in college football. And when you when you go through the defensive coordinators there's a lot of big names there's uh Leonard at Wisconsin there's Madison at Ohio State there's Tom Brown at Michigan there's Brett Venables at Clemson and when you get to the offensive side it's not as loaded because most of the head coaches nowadays are offensive guys and they're the ones calling the plays so if you're a good offensive coordinator nowadays you're going to be tabbed as the next head coach. You're going to be the, the hot name in the coaching circles. You're going to be more likely to get hired as a head coach than the up-and-coming defensive guy. It's just the way that college football is going. So when you look at it that way, I, I think it is hard to get a good offensive coordinator that's not going to jump ship and be a head coach in two years. I mean, you look around the conference, like Ryan Day – Offensive guy, Jim Harbaugh, offensive guy, James Franklin, offensive guy, Scott Frost, offensive guy, Paul Christ, offensive guy, uh, Jeff Brom at Purdue, offensive guy, PJ Fleck, Tom Allen at at Indiana. I mean, probably 70% of college football right now has an offensive minded head coach who's calling the plays, who's basically the offensive coordinator. So in that sense, it, it does make it difficult to go out and hire an offensive coordinator when most of the good ones are already taken as head coaches. So I, I think given the context of the timing of the hire, given the context of everything surrounding it, I mean, we, we clearly were willing to go out and pay somebody. Uh, you have to do what you had to do, and, and we showed the – the balls to go out and do it, um, which, which I do love, but I mean, it's, you're not going to go out and get Lincoln Riley, right? Like I don't, the more I thought about it since the hire, the more it's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't love it, but 
I don't know who else I was really expecting, like who else was out there and available that we would really be excited about. So I don't know. And in that sense, I'm starting to feel a little better about it, but like you said, I mean, it's, it's impossible to have a definitive answer to this question because we just haven't seen his offense at Michigan state. We only saw it for one year last year at, at, uh, at Colorado. And so I don't know, like I'll have a better answer to this by the end of this season, hopefully. But at the end of the day, I think the important thing, like you mentioned, is that Mel Tucker has to have not necessarily a short leash, but he can't have the long leash that D'Antonio did. And if things aren't working out, you got to make a move, whether that's two years from now, I don't care. You got to go out and find a different guy. So I don't know. It's, it's a little long-winded answer, but um, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what the alternative was. Right. right. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, we, we invested around him too. We got Chris Kapilovich, who's probably on the offensive side of the ball, the guy I'm most excited to see what he can do. Uh, obviously we've got a, you know, a nice stable of young talent in the offensive line for him to work with. And he's a, a good stable of running backs as well. He's a quote unquote running game coordinator. Uh, William Piegler um, at, at running backs coach, which is an interesting hire, not a big name, not one that made a lot of noise when it was announced. But when you look at, I mean, he just landed Audric Estime, a four-star out-of-state running back uh, who is heavily recruited by other Big Ten, or excuse me, Power Five uh, conference uh, teams, programs. So we'll see what he can do. I'm excited about that. He seems like he has a lot of enthusiasm. He seems like he's kind of out kicking his coverage in the recruiting game. So, you know, we've invested around him we've got a couple of other question mark coaches on offense you look at like a Courtney Hawkins who not sure he's ever coached in a college atmosphere um, but obviously has the pedigree at Michigan State knows what it takes to play in the Big Ten Um, so we got a good stable of coaches again considering what the pool looked like when we were hiring in February it was it was really startling when D'Antonio left obviously the biggest question was how are we going to hire a competitive coaching staff and all things considered, I think we did a good job. I think there's tons and tons and tons of question marks, but I'm excited to see what he can do. And I mean, I don't want it to make it sound like my opinion of Jay Johnson is similar to Rocky Lombardi and that if it starts, if it comes out of the gate, not looking good, we're going to be looking to make a change. Like I, I have more confidence in him, in him than that. Uh, but, but how much more will certainly be dictated by what we see on the field in the first few weeks. Yeah, that's, that's a good kind of analogy. Uh, like you say, I, I think I'm more confident in Jay Johnson looking good than Rocky Lombardi looking good, but the principle is the same, right? Yep. If they're not working out, you got to go a different direction. So um, let, let's wrap it there. I, I'm really happy that we got a schedule. We, we got football to talk about. We're going to be back to twice a week. I, I told you, guys the listeners out there that uh once we have a schedule and and once football's back we're gonna come back to the twice a week instead of the once a week um shows so we'll be back on thursday morning so make sure if you haven't already make sure you subscribe follow on twitter at standing room msu we have an instagram account now at standing room spartans we're getting the countdown rolling we're we're back where everything is feeling good and you can follow scott on twitter at oh god i just changed my handle i think it's spartan (laughs) martin now (laughs) i I was i don't remember if there's a number after that or something oh i don't either 
Let me check real quick. I should know this off the top of my head. Uh, Spartan Martin 18. You know, Spartan I have Martin. apparently an extremely generic name. So Spartan <laughs> Martin 18 spelled the way that you would think. Um, Antoine Simmons days from football. Let's go get it. Let's go, baby. I, I'm so fired up. We'll be back on Thursday. Make sure you tune in. Thank you guys so much for listening and supporting. Have yourselves a week. Take care.